On May 4th, 2019, the 145th running of the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby was taking place. I don't know if anyone out here is a race fan, a horse racing fan, but this was a unique year for several reasons. And one of those being that the um, purse was up to $3 million from $2 million, so they were expecting quite a bit more money to be. On May 4th, 2019, the 145th running of the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby was taking place. I don't know if anyone out here is a race fan, a horse racing fan, but this was a unique year for several reasons. And one of those being that the um, purse was up to $3 million from $2 million, So they were expecting quite a bit more money to be given out um, at, the end of the, at the end of the race. And um, on that day, on May 4th, 2019, it was a very rainy day. And so the track had become very sloppy and muddy and slippery and, and dangerous for the horses. However, the weather wasn't going to stop 150 plus thousand people from coming into that stadium and watching that race. And it wasn't gonna stop the 20 uh, horse, horses and their, and their jockeys or the owners from competing to to receive that crown, not, not only receive that crown, but also receive that, um, that uh, paycheck, that $3 million paycheck. Fast forward to the end of the race. Um, the race by the, by the name of Maximum Security was coming around the last bend of the race. And uh, he had about a, a length, which is a horse length lead over the other horses. And he's coming around the, the last bin, and, and the horse, obviously knowing that this was his, his last opportunity by the name of the um, War of Will, is coming around the outside of maximum security, trying to make a move at that point to pass him and then to go in for the, for the um, victory. A few things happen in that moment, um, allow for maximum security to stay in the lead in that race and to go on. He ends up winning, not over War of Will, but he ends up winning over another horse by three quarters of a length. So after the race is over, if, you, if you've ever watched any of those things or maybe even been at them, you know that the celebrations are pretty intense. And so there's a great celebration. And the, the difference was is that for about 20 minutes on the, on the screen, it showed the, showed the results of the race, but it showed that they were, they were not final. The, the uh, results of the race were still in question. And so for 20 minutes, Maximum Security and their team and their owners and everybody is celebrating because they believe that they have, they've, they've won the race, you know, $3 million richer, every, everything is kind of good going, going good for them. After 20 minutes of that celebration, it, it pops up on the screen that the winner is this other horse and that Maximum Security was disqualified. And what had happened was when they were going around that last bin, Maximum Security um, moved out of his lane and began to veer into the other lane, which cut off this other horse, kept him from competing for the win, and, and they concluded that, um, he, that he impeded not just that horse, but impeded other horses, and they disqualified him. And um, this is the first time in, in 145 years of, of running the Kentucky Derby, this is the first time that the 
the racer who got, or the, the horse that got first place was disqualified from the race and ended up in last place because of that disqualification. I tell that story because, because this passage of scripture that we're going to read this morning deals with this final judgment. It deals with the fact that one day we're going to stand before the judge. And, and it, is important, it is important that we persevere. That's kind of the theme of Hebrews. It's important that we persevere in the faith all the way to where we're standing before the, the judge. Okay, in, in the same way that some people can get in their Christian life and, and, or, or in, their, in their life and they can have peaks and valleys of what we would call spiritual uh, um, moments of goodness and, and, and then fleshly moments of badness. But we, we get into those things and we get really confident, kind of like maximum security. I love his name, right? Maximum, maximum security ended up not being enough maximum security, did it? Right? And it's just it's interesting to think about the, the, the names of these horses. And so... So when that horse gets there, he thinks he's won, everything has, everything has been right. He finally, ultimately, is judged by the judge, and he, he's found to, be, to have been disqualified. He, he's found to have, have, have failed to um, be successful in all of the confidence that he had in that moment, in all of the um, surety that he was, that he had won that race, he ultimately faced the judge and he was, he was claimed to be guilty. He was claimed to have, have, have hindered and claimed, and, 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 and his, his reward was taken away from him and he was shamed for this. And the Christian life is very similar. We're running a race and we're running a race that's going to go on forever. And it doesn't, it's, it's not about what you did yesterday for the Lord. It's not about what you are going to do tomorrow for the Lord. It's about what you're doing right now for the Lord. Um, the confidence that we have in Christ is not a confidence that's based upon what we've done in the past. It's a confidence about what God is doing in our lives right now. What is God, what is God ultimately working in our life? So in, these, in, the, in the last verses of, of Hebrews 12, what we have is we have, this, um, we have this expression, if you will, of how we approach this judge. And how we approach the judge is super important as to whether or not we are accepted by him. In other words, in a horse race, it's how you run the race, right? And then how you finish and all those things have to be in place. But you stand before the judge and he says you're the winner. In the Christian life, it's not necessarily how you run the race, but it's how you approach the judge of the race. It's how you come to him. And, and all of that is you can connect it together. Running the race would be connected to how you approach him. But here's what he's going to give us some things to think about and meditate on about how we face, how are we going to face the judge? How are we going to approach the judge on that day when we stand before him? Let's just read it together, and then we'll look at a, a few thoughts from the passage of Scripture. Verse 18, it says, For you have not come to what may be touched. And let me stop for a moment. Um, just remember the the text before it was about Esau and how Esau had forfeited his eternal birth or his earthly birthright, which is a picture of our eternal birthright, right? He forfeited it in a moment of, of, of pleasure. Uh, as John Piper says, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup or a bowl of cereal, right? So, so this, is a, this is a following of that. What he's saying is, is don't sell your birthright for a bowl of soup. Don't, don't sell out your Christian life. Don't sell out your faith for something that, you, that, you is, that is temporary, 
right? Don't sell out on God for something that's not going to last into eternity. Stay true to the faith. Stay, stay close to the Lord. And in the end, in eternity, that's when things begin to make sense, right? That's when things begin to work out. If our goal in this life is to, is to have everything that we desire temporarily, and we're living life from a temporary perspective, and, and, and that's our mindset, it's not going to take us into eternity. And it's not going to really matter in eternity either. That's uh, Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust does corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in, in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So, so, so that, that context, let's, let's read on here. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble in fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival, in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are in, enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who are made perfect, and to Jesus Christ, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then we get into verse 25 and we get our instruction. Really, the, the last, there's two portions of the last section that we'll look at this morning. And then, and then we get into our instructions. As a result of the last two portions of Scripture, Mount Sinai or Mount Zion, which is what's being compared here. In relation to Mount Sinai and Mount um, Zion, how should we respond? And he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we, if we reject him who is warning us from heaven. Now, let me, let me say this to you. Very, very important to get this. If you go back to verse 18 down to verse number uh, 21, how is the Lord speaking to them? It's a lot of trouble, isn't it? Uh, darkness and, and blazing fire and gloom and tempest and the sound of this mighty voice. And you're talking about this is a, this is a moment of crisis for the children of Israel. He says this to them. He says, do not refuse him who is speaking. This is talking about future sense. God is going to speak to us again. God is going to speak to us again. And it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult and challenging and full of God's character. I think sometimes we minimize God's character back down to this all-loving God, and we remove the fact that God is all just, and He's full of wrath. It's interesting that He closes out this chapter with, our God is a consuming fire. That's what He closes it with. He, he points them back at the end of this at the end of this um, affirmation, or not affirmation, but uh, encouragement to, to not forsake the voice of God, he points them back to not Mount Zion, but he points them back to Mount Sinai. 
Because that's what it's going to feel like. That's what it's going to feel like. When God is speaking to us, it's going to feel like Mount Sinai. Because he's going to point out our sins. He's going to point out, and, that, and, 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 and we see that in crisis. We, we often don't want to acknowledge it, but we see it in crisis. We see, we see the reality of death. We see the reality of sin. We see that uh, rampant around us. Do not refuse when he speaks to us. Do not neglect. Do not push aside that God is communicating with us. He goes on to say, For if they did not escape, when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if they reject him who warns them from heaven. At this time, his voice shook, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised prophetically, yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So he makes it clear that what they experienced in Sinai is going to, is going to come and it's going to come in larger folds. It's going to come bigger. It's going to come harder. I'm going to shake not only the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens. He says this in verse 27, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have, that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, God's going to shake the earth in such a way as to remove that which is fleshly, that which can be touched, that which can be felt, that which can be uh, um, shaken, so that that which is spiritual might remain. We'll look at that here in a few moments. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So in the end, he tells us, how do we approach this God? How ought we to approach this God? So there are, there are two ways in which we can approach God, mentioned in verse 18 down to verse 24, and then the, in the end there's a challenge for how we ought to approach God. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, all the way back to the book of Exodus. I want you to see this, I want you to see this unfold a little bit of what um, the author of Hebrews is talking about when he talks about, in verse number 18 to 21, he talks about, um, this experience that the children of Israel had at Mount Sinai when they faced God, and um, they faced God in a very, very real way, okay? And they faced God in a just, in a very, uh, very harsh way, okay? Very, very much we see his anger and his wrath towards mankind. So what he's saying here is, is that these people came to God in a certain way, and when they came to God in that way, they, were, they faced God's, God's, God's justice. God, one of the things you want to remember as we go through this text is that God is the same all throughout the text. God hasn't changed from when he faces people on Sinai to when he places, faces people on Zion to when he faces people um, in the end. God is the same throughout. What is different is us. What is different is how we approach him. God is not any different towards anybody who approaches him in faith. If somebody approaches God in faith, God is, shows them grace and mercy. If somebody approaches God in works, then they go, they're going to face God's justice and God's, God's wrath. That's what the beginning of this refers to. Back in Exodus chapter 19, listen to what he says. He says, Now therefore, verse number 5, 
If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and of holy nation, and a holy nation. These are the words that he shall speak to the people of Israel. So he gives them a promise. If you keep my words, you shall be a, a kingdom of priests and a people, of, uh, a holy nation. This comes from Revelation, or this actually precedes Revelation. It's a prophecy about Revelation of all those who come to God in Christ will be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here in Exodus, he says, all those who obey me will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen to what he says in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them before set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, and I want you to get this because this is going to begin, verse chapter number 20 begins this journey of the commandments. And it goes all the way through the book of Deuteronomy and, 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 and into the book of Joshua. I mean, you're talking about large portions of Scripture that deal with the law. You want to you deal with some uh, serious legalism. Read those books of the Bible. Now here's what happens. God says to them, if you obey my voice and keep my commandments, you will be a, this is what's going to happen to you. Moses comes down to the people and says this to them. And all the people with one voice say in response to Moses, all that the Lord hath spoken to us, we will do. In other words, they're accepting this. They're saying, we will do what God expects of us. They, they, they obviously hadn't done what God expected of them up until this point, and they will not do what God is expecting of them up until the, it, into the future. In other words, they're saying, we will accomplish what God requires of us. And so what God does is God shows them what it looks like to accomplish what God requires of them. And God goes into this whole litany of, here's what is required of you. Here is what you must meet. Here is the standard that you must meet to satisfy me in your own flesh and your own abilities. And God, this is where we get into this, this fire and this, and this darkness as we get into it right here. And he says this, and Moses reported the words. They said, we will, all, we will do all that you've required of us. And Moses reported the words to the people of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people might, may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the, the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people, and they shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to, be, not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, for he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or men, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And I, I, I was trying to fathom something to 
picture this event right here taking place. And there's really, there's really not a picture that you can, you can imagine. Just imagine a mountain, and, and on that mountain there's this extraordinarily large cloud that's not, not above the mountain, but has come down onto the mountain, a thick cloud where you cannot see through it. And in the middle of that cloud, you see lightning just flashing here and there. I mean, you could, some of the pictures that were put out this week that were related to the lightning storm that took place over in, was it Salinas, where some of the fires started? We see those amazing pictures. I think this may, may, made those look like uh, 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 a battery producing electricity. I mean, you're talking about this event, this extraordinary event of God showing His holiness, God showing His extraordinary might, God showing His extraordinary wrath towards those who come to Him based on their own merits. They come to Him based upon their own abilities. They come to Him based upon their own righteousness. And here's what He shows them. He shows them, this is what you will face. When we think of eternal damnation in hell, we cannot fathom that. But that is people who are coming to the God of the universe who is perfectly holy, righteous, and just and saying, my, my works should merit your favor. He is showing them that here in this, in this passage of Scripture. And he says, the thick cloud, and you just picture the lightning flashing and, and loud thunder, very loud, and, and out of it comes this very loud trumpet, and then there's a voice. Oh my goodness, I mean, you just, you just can't, you can't even put yourself there to feel what's going on here. There's this loud voice, this booming voice. A voice like no one has ever heard before. It is the voice of God. And out of this lightning flashing and this, and this darkness and this huge cloud and thunder, and all of a sudden there's this extraordinary loud voice that comes thundering through it all. And it is the voice of God. And the people in that, the people in that, they were trembling. And the, the word here describes just literally shaking in fear. Their, their knees were batting. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were just shaking. Their, their body could not be still. And Moses the same. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended it on it in fire. The smoke of it went down like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. The Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priests come near to the Lord and consecrate themselves. Let the people, bless the people break through to the Lord and He breaks out against them. In other words, think about this for a moment. Think of the arrogance of these people. So Moses is up on the mountain getting this stuff from the Lord. The Lord's voice is thundering. You have the lightning and you have the clouds and you have all this stuff going on which people are trembling. But yet in the midst of that crowd, there's Jesus, God, God, has to send Moses back down off the mountain and tell the people to do what? Don't come up on the mountain. Don't come up on the mountain. So there's some people in this crowd of people that are saying, we're going to go up and talk to God. We've got some good works that we can go up and we'll negotiate with Him and all of this stuff will go away. And the Lord says to them, go down there and tell them not to come up on this mountain. They will die. 
immediately they will die. God is, God is displaying for the children of Israel and he's displaying for us that when we approach him, when we come to him, built around our own merits and our own righteousnesses, we will face his wrath. We will face his justice. We will stand before the judge of the universe and we will, be, we will find him be, to be very, very just and holy and condemning. And it will be, it will be full of wrath and judgment. The Bible says this about it. The sound of the trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages should be spoken to them. In other words, they begged that God would stop talking. And the reason for it is, is because they could not endure the orders that were being given. They could not obey the Ten Commandments. They wanted God to be quiet and not to speak any longer. This is how people approach God. People who approach God in their flesh, people who approach God in their own righteousnesses, people who approach God in their own abilities, people who respond to God's presence in their flesh in their own abilities. This is what we'll face. It will not be the limitation of seeing God's righteous hand. It will be the maximizing of seeing God's righteous hand. Perhaps we're in a season right now where God is showing Himself mighty to us. And we go to Him with our self-righteousnesses. And we go to Him with our merits. And we go to Him thinking that we deserve for Him to lift all of the problems that we're facing. We don't deserve for Him to lift these things. And if we go to Him with our merits, we will face this, 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 this wrathful God, just holy God, who will give us exactly what we deserve. And listen, we do not want what we deserve. We're not here looking for justice. We're here looking for mercy. Mount Sinai is a picture of justice. It's a picture of the law. It's where God gave His commands and said, keep these commands. Or face this about me. Mount Sinai is a picture of approaching God in our own righteousnesses. He doesn't stop there. He says this. And he's encouraging the people. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion. So in other words, you have not come. This is, the, this is a picture of their salvation. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable number of angels and festal and festival and festal gatherings to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God who is the judge of all and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well the first thing that you'll notice different between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion is that Mount Sinai is about all that is physical. He talks about that this can be touched. Mount Zion is that all that is spiritual. It is that which cannot be touched. It is a, it is a spirit. We, we, we are a part of a kingdom that is a spiritual kingdom. And it will one day be a physical kingdom, but for, for now it is a spiritual kingdom. We have come and these people have come to this mount. This is, this, this is the gospel. The gospel isn't that we come to the Lord and face Him based upon our merits. The gospel is that we come to Mount Zion and we plead with him for grace and mercy, totally in spite of our merits, in spite of the fact that we do not deserve any of his kindnesses, 
But listen, folks, the reality is this morning, if we come to Mount Sinai and we say, God, look at me, I deserve your favor, God will show us who he is. And maybe we're seeing that even today in our world around us. But yet he says to them, but you, you, you Hebrew people, you come to Christ you come to Mount Zion, which is the place from which salvation comes. Jesus Christ, this is another term. He uses the, he, he explains it and calls it spiritual Jerusalem. This is where Christ comes from. This is Mount, Mount Zion is all about mercy and grace. It's all about not getting what we deserve. It's about a people coming before the Lord God of the universe in humility and brokenness, acknowledging their sins, acknowledging their unworthiness, acknowledging that there's nothing that they can do to gain God's favor, but yet He showers them with favor. Can we, can we get the picture that's taking place here? Here are people who come to God wanting what they deserve, and He shows them what they deserve. And here's a people who come to God wanting not what they deserve, and He gives them grace and mercy. He says this, but you, you Hebrew people, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festival, festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God who is the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. These are those who have been made perfect by the blood of Christ. Our righteousness is not based upon our own merits, but it's based upon the merits of Christ. We do not come to God requiring of Him to give us what we deserve. We come to God requesting of Him to give us what we don't deserve. These are the Spirit. We come. This is a, this is a celebration, isn't it? I mean, you think about Mount, Mount, Mount Sinai is a, is a moment of torment. And Mount Zion is a moment of celebration. We can, we can come to God in our own righteousness and we will face a moment of torment, of fear, or we can come to God in Christ and we can experience a celebration. In your own time, read Revelation 5 and Revelation 6 and 7, and you'll really Revelation 5 and 7, and you'll see this come to fruition where God's people are gathered together at an assembly in heaven and they're surrounding the throne and there is the Lamb and all these things are taking place. The Bible tells us in Revelation 14 and verse number 1 that at the top of Mount Zion there was a lamb. Jesus Christ is pictured by this Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place where there is mercy. Mount Zion is the place where there is forgiveness. Mount Zion is the place where there is grace. Mount Zion is the place that there is hope. But Mount Zion is the place that there is Jesus. You don't get to Mount Zion through Mount Sinai. You don't get to Mount Zion through your works. You get to Mount Zion through grace. You get to Mount, to Mount Zion through forgiveness. You get to Mount Zion through hope in Christ. You get to Mount Zion through the shedding of the blood of Christ. That's why he says at the end here, he says, spirits that are made perfect, we come to Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant. He's the one who, who stands on our behalf. Man, when, that, when they went up to Mount Sinai, there was nobody there to stand on their behalf. And they saw God. And it was horrific. But when you go to Mount Zion, there's someone there to stand on your behalf. And it is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is sufficient to bring salvation to your souls. He is the mediator of our, of, of, of our relationship with God. 
And not only that, but he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat. In other words, he shed his blood so that this might be possible. He shed his blood so that we might come to him and ask for forgiveness. He shed his blood so that we might come to him and, and ask for mercy and ask for grace. He came, to, he came and shed his blood so that we might experience salvation. The Bible says that his blood speaks better than the blood of Abel. If you go back to Genesis chapter number 4, the Bible says that the blood of Abel, the blood of Abel became a continual condemnation of Cain. It chased him everywhere he went. The voice of Abel's blood chased Cain wherever he went. Think about the guilt of the blood of Abel. The Bible says that Jesus Christ's blood speaks better. Why? Because we're all Cain. Did you know that? We're all Cain. Our blood, our Savior's blood was shed by us. The difference is, is that Abel's blood chased Cain around forever to condemn him. Jesus Christ's blood chases us around forever to forgive us. Jesus' blood is better than Cain's because it's not condemning. Yes, we were the one who hung him on the cross. It was our sins for which he died. But listen to me this morning, folks. Jesus Christ's blood does not want to condemn you for what you did. It wants to forgive you. It wants to embrace you in mercy and forgiveness and kindness and love. Jesus' blood was shed not to condemn you. It was shed to save you from your sins. Jesus' blood is better than Abel's. Some of us, we walk, some of us today, we walk through life and we live a miserable life of shame because we've experienced what Cain and Abel are experiencing. We know the depth of our sins, but we've never found peace in Christ. We see his blood as, as the blood of Abel chasing us around to condemn us when Jesus' blood was not meant to chase us around to condemn us. Listen, folks, Jesus' blood was meant to chase us to forgive us. Jesus said, I have come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. You come to God, you approach him, you approach the judge, you approach him in your own righteousness and you will face his wrath. You approach him in Christ you will face His mercy. You will face His grace. You approach Him in your own energy and your own effort, you will face His judgment. You approach Him in Christ's effort and Christ's energy and Christ's works, you will face His mercy and His grace. Listen to me, how should we approach, how should we approach God today? How should we approach God today? Do we go to Him and say, look at all the things that I've done, Lord? Or do we say, God, look at all the things that Christ has done for me? This is where he gets to the very end. Now he's going to go into us. He's going to say, listen, do not refuse him who is speaking. Do not reject him who is speaking. Do not, do not refuse to listen to what's taking place around us. Do not refuse to listen to his voice. Do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much more will we not escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? And then he talks about the fact that he's going to shake the whole earth again. And for some, the shaking of the earth is going to be a Mount Sinai experience. Listen to me. For some, the shaking of the earth is going to be a Mount Sinai experience. For others, it's going to be a Mount Zion experience. The shaking of the earth is not what's different in this text. God is not what's different in this text. What is different in this text is that I come to him either in my own efforts or I come to him in Christ. I come to him expecting justice or I come to him expecting and hoping for mercy and grace. 
this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. And let me just say this to you. We're not experiencing what's coming. This is a taste. I mean, this is bad. I know it's bad. We've got fires. We've got riots. We've got coronavirus. And we've got other things that I don't even know right now. We only think of it from an American perspective. There's a lot of countries that have a lot worse things going on. We haven't tasted it all yet. For some, it will drive us to the feet of Jesus. To others, it will drive us in righteous indignation against a God who is not giving us what we deserve. It's the difference between Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. He's going to shake the earth again. This time he's going to shake it hard. Anything that is fleshly, he's going to remove. Anything that is spiritual will stay firm. Listen, verse 28, here's the admonition. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that is not to be shaken. Here it is. How do we respond to this? How does Mount, a Mount Zion experience, what's a Mount Zion re- experience when God shakes the earth or a response when God shakes the earth? It is what? Lord God, I'm thankful that you didn't shake the earth. No, I'm thankful that I didn't shake when you shook the earth. I'm thankful that I did not shake. I'm thankful that you have made me a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. And that's the kingdom of the Lord. When the Lord brings us into his kingdom by his grace and his mercy, we become a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. And I love the way that he terms it here. He says that we have received. The term literally means to be gifted. We have been gifted a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have been gifted a kingdom. So imagine what we're going through now a hundredfold, and we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would we say that that's true? Folks, I believe what's happening is we're being tested and we're being proven with a small earthquake because there's a big earthquake coming. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is not um, slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, when the Lord shakes the earth, it's going to be a Mount Zion experience for some and a Mount Sinai experience for others. Where are we at today? The Lord is shaking the earth a little bit, right? We feel it. Are we in Mount Zion? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for me. I have great confidence and great faith. This is what he's encouraging them to do. He's like, you, you, you know what Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai was about, and it was failure. You came to me in Mount Zion, which was success and salvation. Now he's telling them, remain that. Remain on Mount Zion. Therefore, let us be grateful because we have been gifted. We have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So the first attitude that we should have today is thankfulness. Not that we have no problems, but that we can't be shaken. We can't be destroyed. Nothing can happen to us that God does not allow, and nothing can happen to us that's going to destroy our eternity. We are secure, right? What was the name of that horse again? Anybody remember the horse? Maximum security. That's us, right? We're not going to wave out and go into the other lane and get disqualified. We're maximally secured in Christ. We're maximally secured in Christ. So what's our attitude towards whatever the Lord does? It is thankfulness. Lord, thank you, not that you did not shake the earth, but that I'm not shakable. That's a gift. It's a gift from God. 
Let me ask you something this morning. Are you shakable? Where are you at right now, spiritually? Where are you at spiritually? Could you honestly say in your heart of hearts and you're in the depths and core of who you are that this is what describes you? Thank you, God, that you have given me a kingdom that's unshakable. Listen, there's nothing like running through this race with all your best abilities and your best efforts and one day standing before the judge and him saying, you're disqualified. This is what Matthew 7 is dealing with when it says, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And have we not performed many miracles in your name? And he says to them, I never knew you. Depart me into everlasting condemnation. You know what? They went before the Lord and they said to the Lord, Lord, look at what we've done. Not look at what Jesus has done. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this comes the what? After this comes the judgment. You're going to stand before this God one day. I'm serious. This is, this is no joking matter. You're going to stand before this God one day. You're going to stand before him. Every one of us is. You're going to give an account. You're going to come to him in faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us or in what you have merited or earned. Let us respond by being thankful. Then he says this, and then let us offer to God, it's an offering, it's like a sacrifice, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let me say this to you, there is a such thing as unacceptable worship, if there's a such thing as acceptable worship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Okay, so listen, verse 28 at the beginning points us back to Mount Zion. Let us be thankful for what the Lord has done. The end of the verse says, let us offer praises to God, our worship to God that is acceptable with reverence and awe, which points us back to where? To Mount Sinai. He doesn't want them to forget. Listen, these people are wavering in their faith. They're not sure that they want to keep going in the faith. They have turned from their religiosity, but now it's kind of difficult, and they don't sure that they want to stay true to the faith. The Lord points them back to Mount Zion where you were saved and Mount Sinai where you see God in His full expression. And He's telling them, don't go back to that. Stay in the faith. And then He says, for our God is a consuming fire, which is to point us back to Mount Sinai. My challenge to you this morning is simply this. Stay in the faith. Continue to walk in the goodness of Christ Continue to trust in what He has accomplished for you. It's not about what you have done. Listen, there's nothing more miserable than walking through a day of your life thinking it's about you. There's nothing more fearful than walking through a day of your life and thinking that your eternal destiny is about you. There's nothing more fearful than that. But there's nothing more encouraging than knowing that my eternal destiny is based upon what Christ has done. And it's better. And I will stand before him one day. I will stand before the God of the universe who has created all things and, can, and controls them. I will stand before him one day and I will be accepted not based upon what I have done, but based upon what Christ has done for me. He's telling them to stay the course. So my challenge to you is simply this. You can look at the past and you can see the moments where you put trust in your flesh, just like the Jewish people did, the Hebrew people did, right? Did it, was, it, was it a moment of great pleasure and joy and, 
and, and great comfort? Or was it a moment of fear because you know that you cannot do what God requires of you to do? You know that it fails. So he says, look at your past and know that trusting in your flesh fails. Look at the cross and know that trusting in Christ succeeds. And then in the end, come to him, come to God with confidence because you have been given a kingdom that is not shaken, but also come to him in awe and in reverence. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for this. Really, Lord, it's a warning. I think it's a warning more than anything else that not to fall away, that we're going to stand before you one day and give an account and not to rest in what's happened in the past or what happened yesterday, but God, to rest in Christ and to know that we must stand firm in the faith of Christ for, for the remainder. It's not, it's not enough to, to stand in the faith today, Lord God, but we must stay in the faith. We, we know that we do not stay in the faith in our own merits and our own strength, but we stay in the faith based upon your grace. Please help us this morning, Lord. Please help us to evaluate. Please help us to, to be sure that our faith is in Christ and not in ourselves. We pray your blessing upon this time. May your word be rich and full to all those who are in Jesus Christ.